Welcome to another edition of Profiles, a look into the music, artistry, lives, and legacies of the musicians and artists who defined a uniquely creative era by breaking boundaries and finding new influences. While they not only ushered in social as well as political change, they also created immensely popular legacies that have truly stood the test of time. Woo! Well, welcome to special programming on KPFK, 90.7 FM Los Angeles, and online for the world at kpfk.org. My name is Maggie LaPique, and I'll be your host for this hour. My guest is the extraordinary pianist, composer, band leader, and educator, Mike Garson, who you just heard mentioned by David Bowie from Live at Glastonbury from the year 2000, and the song Changes is what we heard. Mike Garson perhaps is best known for his relationship with David Bowie. Mike made his mark on more than two dozen David Bowie albums, beginning with Aladdin Sane in 1973, traveled thousands of miles on Bowie tours, and was Bowie's longest-standing band member. Mike's recordings as a leader began with his debut, Avant Garson, in 1979, and he contributed to the work of other major groups, including Duran Duran, Nine Inch Nails, and Smashing Pumpkins. We are thrilled and honored to welcome him back to the KPFK studios. Welcome back, Mike Garson. Nice to be here. (laughs) It's wonderful to have you here in our celebration of David Bowie in this hour. And we did begin the show with music from this wonderful box set, David Bowie, Glastonbury 2000, which features you, of course, you're in the band. We began with Changes, and this was a big night at the Glastonbury Festival in Pilton, Somerset, England. It was June 25th, 2000. And in the notes sent to us, one of the Glastonbury organizers says David was the best set she'd ever seen at Glastonbury. And you're noted as saying that all the times you played on the stage with Bowie, Glastonbury was your favorite. What made this show so special? Well, it had been 30 years since David Bowie had performed at Glastonbury. So he had performed there in 1970, and now it's 2000. So it was like a comeback, and can we still do it? Does he still have it? Do we have it as a band? And you've got to understand, there was supposed to be 150,000 fans out there on this farmland, and it turns out there was a quarter of a million because it's easy mm-hmm. to slip in mm-hmm. in those kind of spaces. 250,000 people is, is <laughs> for me as a jazz musician playing for 10 people in a club, <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> so we were all pretty nervous, but the band had been touring, so we were in very good form musically. It usually takes five or ten concerts when you're on the road to warm up and feel comfortable. Sometimes after 50 or 60 or 100, it's the other way. You're bored and you can't wait to be done with the tour. But we were in just the right sweet spot, and we had done our homework, and we had played some very nice smaller concerts, and here we are landing in Glastonbury. I'll never forget... 
right before we went on, Willie Nelson played. And he was fantastic. Wow. I just remember I stood up on like it would be the second floor or something, and I'm looking down right at his sister playing the piano, mm-hmm. and Willie Nelson, that guitar of his is just historical. You know, you could feel the life and the notes in it. So we were pumped and very excited to go on because we were the closing act after several days. We were the headliners, and... Uh, you know, we were not spring chickens. We were older seasoned musicians, and you don't know when you're playing with so many younger bands if you can pull it off, but the energy was fantastic. So tell us about, and we'll go back to the very beginning of the show. So you've got a quarter of a million people there, and the vibe, the atmosphere is just electric. Yeah. And David... I've read, was a little nervous. Tell us about how you ended up sort of getting pushed out (laughs) onto the stage to start solo piano, and we're going to hear it after you tell us the story. So picture yourself being like backstage, but the backstage, because it was a big outdoor concert, all you had to do was look around one, one wall and you saw a quarter of a million people. So <laughs> we're standing there ready to walk out and do Wild is the Wind, which was a song that David loved. He didn't write it, but Johnny Mathis first made it famous in 1959, and Nina Simone. And Yes. Uh, so we're ready to go out and do this song. David peeks around this little doorway or wall, and I think he got nervous. And his favorite guinea pig is me. He did this at Hammersmith in 1973. He sent me out to do a medley before the Spiders from Mars came out on that very famous last Mm -hmm. show before he retired the Spiders and moved on to other things. Well, here he does it to me again. He looks out there. I see him get nervous. He said, Mike, go warm up the audience. Mm -hmm. And furthermore, he requests a song. He says, now you go play Greensleeves, which also goes on the name or Child is This. It's really like a Christmas song. It's a beautiful song. It's been around for who knows. We don't even know who composed it, maybe five, six hundred years. And jazz musicians have done it and pop people have done it. So I walk out there. Here's where it gets real interesting. I sit down at the keyboard. Nothing, no sound comes out. The first thought is, if the band had come out there and it starts with the piano with Wild as the Wind and the whole band, I've now sabotaged the whole show. So there was a blessing, some angel watching over us. No sound on the piano. I see a hundred tech guys all around, far as my eyes could see, and on stage. Everyone's plugging wires and pulling plugs out, putting them in. Turns out, and I might be the culprit in sound check. I think I turned the sound off the keyboard. I just lowered the volume to zero, forgot, and they thought it was wiring and problems with the sound. All of a sudden, I turn up the keyboard, and it's perfect. But this was three minutes of nerve-wracking anxiety I was having because people were getting a little nervous and anxious in the audience, but they didn't know I was there to play. So as far as they were concerned, I could have been a tech guy walking around (laughs) on stage. So I finally got the piano playing. 
that got the volume up on the keyboard, and I played Green Sleeves, which I think is the opening of the Glastonbury show. Yes, it is. And we're going to take a listen right now to uh, David Bowie, Mike Garson on the piano, and the very beginning of this historic show, Mike playing Green Sleeves. And then the beautiful, beautiful Wild is the Wind. Music from David Bowie and my very special in-studio guest. His name is Mike Garson, an extraordinary musician, pianist, composer, band leader, and educator Mike Garson, best known for his tenure with the great David Bowie. And we're featuring music from a beautiful set, Glastonbury 2000. It is a two-disc cassette and a DVD, and I do want to let folks know we're in the midst of our fun drive, and we have these box sets available if uh, you want to call in early. 818-985-5735, press 2 to make your donation. It is a $100 pledge to KBFK. This is an extraordinary uh, set that uh, came out just a couple of years ago. And uh, I just want to read a little bit, Mike, from uh, these liner notes uh, about David, uh, driven by an, uh, by an entirely deeper dynamic than most pop artists. David Bowie inhabited a very special world of extraordinary sounds and endless vision, unwilling to stay on the treadmill of rock legend and avoiding the descent into ever-demeaning and decreasing circles of cliché, Bowie wrote and performed what he wanted, when he wanted. His absence from the endless list of important events had just fueled interest. Constant speculation about what the guy was up to has even led some to wonder if this is his great reinvention ever, David Jones. And uh, David Robert Jones was born in Brixton, David Bowie, January 8th, 1947. And uh, Mike and I were just talking as the beautiful uh, song Wild is the Wind was playing and uh, talking about the fact that he was friends with Nina Simone, who definitely put her mark on the song Wild is the Wind. And if you wanted to comment a little bit more on that, Mike, his relationship with Nina. Interestingly enough, she got him and she knew he was a big talent and of course it was very easy for him to get her mm-hmm. as a singer and a great pianist you know and I came to New York to do a television show with him and it was just going to be piano and voice maybe 1999 something like that and he said listen to Nina 
and her version of Wild is the Wind and understand it, duplicate it, and tonight make your own version. It's just you and me playing at the Yahoo Awards. And I did, and it inspired me, and I did my thing on it, but I took some of her essence. So they were very well connected uh, spiritually and musically. Let's just go back and talk about how you met David, how you were introduced to him. And we are actually celebrating 50 years of that because you met him in 1972. It's 50 years, and in January it'll be 50 years when we recorded the Aladdin Sane album, which was my first album with him of maybe 19, 20, 25 albums. And what was supposed to be an eight-week stint for me or tour turned out to be about 600 concerts over the next 40 years. And, you know, how these things happen is I don't even understand. I just know that I got a call. I was giving a piano lesson in Brooklyn and I got a telephone call. And can you be in RCA in 20 minutes? So that was in Manhattan. I'm in Brooklyn. I had a piano student in the house. My daughter was one year old. I <laughs> left the house. I let the student take care of my daughter and watch her <laughs> while my wife was working, who one subsequently wanted to kill me because I left a new student with a one-year-old. I ran to New York, and I walk in this room, and there's... David Bowie with the most gorgeous hair and clothing and the spiders from Mars. This is the middle of the week. Everybody was decked out. I'm in a jeans and a T-shirt. And uh, Mick Ronson's at the piano with the piece changes, which you started with. And he shows me the chords. He says, play this. I played for seven seconds. And he said, you got the gig. I said, I didn't even start. He said, well, I play piano besides guitar. I could tell you could play. And we're going on tours the first Ziggy Stardust tour in America and all of a sudden my whole world in jazz and everything else I was doing prior turned around and I'm with David Bowie you know who I recognize was going to be one of the greatest artists of the century and I think I was right then and I think as we see the body of work that he's left us it's probably he might be the greatest artist of the century you know as far as I'm concerned. But I'm prejudiced a little bit. Yes. Well, those of us who love David, I, you know, sincerely love his work and his, just his incredible artistry. You know, it seems like every generation since, you know, 50 years ago, new generations of people are discovering him. And the Moonage Daydream, the documentary, has been out that sort of sparked and re-sparked interest in his music and his work. And I know, you know, like my son and nieces and nephews that are very young that just adore him. It's an amazing thing because when I was playing in England with him in 1973 at Wembley Stadium, and I look at my daughter, who was about two then, she's on the side of the stage watching him. She's now 50, and her daughters, you know, who are 10, 12, 14, 16, they are fans, and it just keeps going down yes. and down. You know, I play a lot with Evan Rachel Wood, who's a great actress and a wonderful singer, and she was the biggest Bowie fan from Labyrinth, and her son Jack, you know, is young. He just absolutely loves David. So it's a beautiful thing to see it. I've seen it now through, I guess, it's three generations. It's yes. crazy. It's and crazy. It, it just keeps going. And I loved what you said earlier, and I want you to share it again. 
that being a jazz musician as kind of your roots as a player, as a musician artist, that when people talk about David and his influence on them, that you equate it with how, and you can tell everybody what artists, jazz artists, did the same thing for you, how they inspired you. Yeah, because so many fans around the world for the last 50 years were inspired really in a big way by David, and it changed their life because as an artist, he gave everyone permission to be who they were. That is unusual. I mean, many artists are following that now, but if you talk to them, and I have many of the younger great artists, they were influenced by him emotionally, mentally, spiritually, musically. And because I didn't grow up with his music, I grew up with John Coltrane, Miles Davis, McCoy Tyner, Bill Evans, you know. These were the people that influenced me. So that's how I make the analogy, because when I think about how they affected me when I was a teenager and earlier, or in classical mm-hmm. Vladimir Horowitz or Arthur Rubenstein, those people changed my life. And the fans who grew up with Bowie, he changed their life. Bowie changed my life much later in my life by me just contributing to his music by playing the piano. But I was not somebody who knew his music. I didn't even know who he was when I went for the audition. <laughs> I, I just got Isn't a good that feeling. Funny? I, got a, I got a vibe, you know. That's so amazing. I thought we would play another song from Glastonbury 2000. This one, Life on Mars. Do you want to introduce it? Well, Life on Mars is certainly in the top three songs for me that David ever wrote. It's just an exquisite song. The original version on Hunky Dory was done by a great pianist named Rick Wakeman. Of course, people know him from Yes and many other things. And then when I toured with David, I must have played Life on Mars 150 times, and each time David allowed me to play it different. Most of the band played the parts, but I was the loose cannon. He allowed me to do whatever I wanted. And this is one of many versions. I I haven't heard it. I should have. I remember playing it in 2000, but I have not heard this version ever till now. Let's take a listen to... I'm very fearful tonight as I got struck down by laryngitis earlier this week. So if I give out... And if any of you know any of the words, for God's sake, join in. Thank you. It's my favourite love song of the eighties. This next one. Uh, Life on Mars from uh, this beautiful live performance. David Bowie and his incredible band live at Glastonbury in the year 2000. And of course, time is just flying by. Mike Garson, my very special in-studio guest, and you can hear Mike all over this live performance at Glastonbury. Beautiful, beautiful, exquisite piano work. Thank you so much. Um, just absolutely marvelous. But I thought, you know, you could just talk a little bit about uh, the rest of the band. 
uh, on this particular date. And uh, if you forget anybody, I've got the names in front of me. So, Mike, tell us uh, about some of the wonderful band members on uh, this particular date. Well, Earl Slick had returned to the band, and he sounds phenomenal on it. I was listening as you were playing it. And Sterling Campbell's just a great drummer. Gail Ann Dorsey, one of my old buddies, she's a fantastic singer and bassist. And we had yeah. some great background singers. I, it was just a fantastic band. Yes, absolutely. Wonderful. Yes, I see M. Kreiner and Holly Palmer. They were great background yes. vocalists, and they each have very nice solo careers also. And we're listening, you know, the the last song that we heard, Life on Mars, and David admits to the audience that he's having some vocal trouble, laryngitis and such, and you hear his voice and you're <laughs> like, what the, what? But Mike was explaining to me that the Life on Mars, the original version, is in the key of... Well, it starts on an F, it's in the key of B flat. B flat. It starts on an F chord, and by the time we did the Glastonbury version, it started on a C chord, <laughs> and it was in the key of F, so it was actually five half steps lower, which is, his voice got richer, but it was lower, and he sounds beautiful on it, but he was smart enough to know to find the right key, and we found that key, and it sounds beautiful. An absolute perfect key. We are running out of time, but we wanted to get to another song, and you picked one called Stay. Tell us about this one from Glastonbury. Great groove. I think I even played some strings on it and some clavinet, you know, like that kind of a vibe, and uh, maybe a little piano, but it features a lot of guitar with Earl Slick, and it's just a... Very funky kind of a piece. It's kind of almost a jam that goes on for like 10 minutes. So let's take a listen to, uh, from David Bowie, Live at Glastonbury 2000, featuring my very special guest, the one and only Mike Garson on piano. Time this one was written, 1975. Guy played the album with me on that station station. What I never say is the song is Stay from Bowie Glastonbury 2000. This wonderful box set uh, features so many great songs. I'm just, uh, just blown away by this. Um, it was released just a few years ago, and uh, it says in here, you know, just one last time, never say never again, again, possibly. And uh, what a night. And joining me in studio, my very special guest, the one and only Mike Garson, pianist, uh, composer, band leader, educator, uh, started working with David 50 years ago, back in 1972. And so we're celebrating David Bowie today. There's a lot of things happening uh, with uh, David Bowie's legacy. Uh, Moonage Daydream, the documentary, came out that was, uh, of course, um, you know, the family gave their blessing to do. Um, and it's, if you have not seen it, it's mind blowing. Have you seen it, Mike? Oh, yeah. I was given a screening by my friend who's directed, Brett Morgan. And in the middle, they remix the Aladdin same piano solo. It goes on for two or three minutes. It's, it's like almost was too much for me at the sound <laughs> in the room because I saw it in an IMAX. But it was fantastic. 
Yes, um, absolutely wonderful. And I wanted to mention uh, that we have uh, these beautiful books from uh, Genesis Publications. They are a wonderful group of uh, people abroad that uh, are really know how to uh, put beautiful uh, projects together. And uh, they, they were responsible for Olivia Harrison's beautiful book, uh, the, her 20 Poems for George, um, Came the Lightning is the name of that one. But this is a coffee table book. This is like, I, I don't know, Mike, how much does it weigh? Like, you know, 10 pounds? <laughs> 10 pounds. <laughs> Very heavy. So it's Moonage Daydream, The Life and Times of Ziggy Stardust. And this is an anniversary edition. I believe it's uh, 50 years of Ziggy Stardust. And uh, this is by David Bowie and photographs by Mick Rock. And I know you wanted to mention uh, Mick and, and knowing him and working with him. 600 photographs taken by Mick Rock. Bowie's personal and often humorous commentary gives unprecedented insight into his work and the creation of his most memorable persona. I mean, this is such a beautiful book. But when did you meet Mick Rock, Mike? Mick, he was on tour with us in 1972 through America. He was on the bus with us. He was taking pictures. He was a great photographer. And, of course, he produced the video Life on Mars. And these are some of the most gorgeous pictures that are in this book that I remember him taking. And I, when I saw him, I just knew where he was in relationship to David. And I had a nice conversation with him a few months before he passed last year. Wonderful guy, and David loved him. And he, this book is great. I'm glad that it's come out. Yes, this is a book of extraordinary photographs. Ziggy Stardust blazed briefly but intensely, and I'm delighted to see his life and times as a rock and roll star immortalized in this beautiful book. That's David Bowie. Rolling Stone said, The closest we'll ever get to a straight-up Bowie autobiography, but who'd ever want anything straight-up from Bowie? <laughs> if you want to keep up with Mike, check out his website. It's it's really well uh, uh, put together, and, you know, it's constantly being updated. Mike Garson, M-I-K-E-G-A-R-S-O-N.com. Real simple. Mike Garson, thank you so much for joining me today in our celebration of David Bowie. We love you, David. We miss you. But as long as the music is playing and the books are, you know, we can look at the photographs, you are right here with us. So thank you so much. Very true. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Profiles. And please join me next time for another in-depth look at the legendary musicians and artists who changed the trajectory, opened our minds, and who continue to inspire us. I'm your host and producer, Maggie LaPique. Special thanks to my producers, Jerry O and Andrea Love. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to tune in next time for Profiles with Maggie LaPique.